Hello and welcome to another episode of Pakistanomy. My name is Uzair Yunus and today we're going to be talking in depth about a business that many of you may not fully understand but it has deep linkages with Pakistan's economy, everything from construction and real estate development to the textile sector. And what it has been doing over the last few years has been truly exciting. Um not only is it a dominant player in the domestic market but it has started exporting its products and at a competitive price and has growth ambitions to further grow Pakistan's exports um i'm talking about angro polymer and chemicals limited and i have with me the honor of having with me uh jangi paracha sahab who is the chief executive officer of the business um he has previously served as ceo of angro vopak terminal limited um as well as angro lng um limited as well um they've turned around the business on the polymer side over the last few years and parach sahab has been at the forefront of that change uh, so first of all jangi parach sahab thank you so much for joining us today on pakistanomy and looking forward to this conversation ji yeah, assalam alaikum sir uh, you know it's an honor to come on to your podcast looking forward to having a nice conversation today with you so i want to begin with sort of the turnaround that's happened at the business right obviously it's grown tremendously through the pandemic uh, we can jump into that a bit as well but there was a period of time a few years ago where the business needed uh, sort of you know to be revived um tell us a bit about how you and your team went about doing that and where do things stand today so that this business has been part of engro's portfolio for a number of few years and uh, you know i would say well more than 20 years and we've been growing this business organically you know uh so if you understand uh, any commodity i think scale is what make the big difference for you you know you got to have a world scale plant or world scale manufacturing uh you know business which uh, gives you the the right sort set of cost structure where you can be competitive in market you know uh alhamdulillah uh, pakistan's economy uh and the pvc demand has been growing at a steady rate of about 6% we started with a very very small plant of about 100000 tons we expanded it to 200000 tons a world scale plant would be about 400000 tons so that's the, the sort of size you got to have if you want to be in, in this commodity we have alhamdulillah reached now 300000 tons uh, which means that all our cost structures are 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 getting that economies of scale and that's one benefit which we are getting and our ambition is to take it further to 400000 where everything sort of really becomes world scale and your cost structures are very much aligned with what what the world produces you know and that's where you can really compete and you know you could be a very profitable business through all cycles of commodity you know i mean commodities are cyclic you know so you you design the size and cost structure for the worst sort of period of the curve when you when the commodities are at the lower end so business was feeling the pain when we were at the lower end of the commodity cycle because we were not we didn't have the business scale and our cost obviously were were quite high for the scale size of the plant uh, now i think we are we have uh, we have just brought in a new capacity and as uh, life would have it we are at the top of the commodity cycle also so it's it's good times to bring in uh, a big capacity when the business is extensively leveraged also because you've taken the you know enough debt to you know finance your expansion so it's a good time to bring in a new capacity we have done that and our plan is to further increase it to 400000 that's where we will really be at the right size so that's 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 been the aim over last few years of the business to get to that scale where we become a globally competitive business so which is awesome news i think one of the things that when i talk to folks about the economy and and get feedback from listeners is that there is this view that pakistan's economy generally speaking can't compete globally and in fact your business is evidence that no it is possible to be globally competitive it is possible to even use that as an advantage to export um tell us a bit about what the keys to success were in terms of what pakistan has to offer how did you grow the business and and what were some of the lessons learned as you decided to you know add the capacity and and get to a place where the business can now say you know we can stand on our feet and and compete with the best in the world so uh, so so one generic uh, you know uh, advantage uh, you have in pakistan is there's a very large domestic market you know you have 220 million people you are not a country which is totally dependent on exporting 
you have a very big large domestic market which gives you that steady you know sort of market where you you can supply at all all times you know and one of the key things which we have been focused in is obviously to grow the demand of the product also so business development effort has been going on you know uh, i would say 20 years back 90% of our product was going into only pipes which is which is the most sort of simplistic use of any plastic you know and it's got a it's a low value product you know so over the years effort has been going on to you know introduce this plastic into more and more products be it windows uh, i can see your your windows they are pvc right now i mean <laughs> yes uh, yet be it uh, you know some of the foam board applications where you're replacing now chipboard and marine board in the kitchens so effort is to bring introduce new products which are actually uh, utilized uh, being used or produced extensively in the western world and our effort is indirect you know sort of encouraging local entrepreneurs to make that investment because engro doesn't want to get into that side of the business you don't want to really compete with your customers so we have been encouraging our customers to look at new uh, products we have taken them to some of these uh, k fair in germany and we have taken them to china where they we, we made the linkages with with the producers of different plastics and also equipment suppliers so there's a lot of lot of facilitation which has happened which has at times given us spurts of growth which are upwards of 7 8% even traditionally the, the industry has grown up uh, grown at about 6% and you want to accelerate you go to 8 8 9% type of growth so some of these newer applications are seeing double digit growth now which is which is extremely encouraging because as i said our objective is to get to that golden number of a world scale you know producer and that can only happen if our customers become more users of our product and they expand and they do well so that's that's the kind of linkage we have it's a b2b model so we are not selling directly to customers or consumers we selling it to our customers who are then selling it to the consumers you know so that's one effort uh, and and then uh, looking at uh, benchmarking with the technology licenses for getting the best and most efficient technologies in place uh, obviously uh, you have your fixed cash cost uh, in a chemical business which is your salaries you know some of the rentals and others and then you have the variable cost which is energy uh, you know your raw material and the efficiency on the variable cost actually is a, is a very big makes you really very very competitive and there there a lot of intervention has been you know because we have we have old plants we have new plants so we have tried to really upgrade ourselves so that our variable cost also is reducing or we become as efficient as possible and now i think the next phase will be you know uh, investing in technology you know bringing ai concept artificial in intelligence digitization of the plants those are the next sort of frontier which we will be stepping into which will again you know make your assets or our assets extremely efficient that's that's the mantra which we are really working on uh, efficiency and scale and that's what the business is doing and market development uh, where newer products get uh, you know sort of introduced and used by our consumers so this this is the kind of three pronged approach which we have we followed all all these last 5 6 years and i think that's the same strategy will go on in next 5 to 6 years also inshallah i think the product and market development side is super interesting right because i live here in the us and you pointed out my windows in fact uh, the floor in my basement is made out of pvc it's vinyl and yeah. it's it's not it's synthetic wood it feels and touches like wood but it is it yeah. um and it's cheaper it's it's more efficient in fact it's um coming and growing from up in karachi i remember looking at this basement floor and it was like it's actually better for flooding in case there is like you know a big storm that comes in it's easier to clean up and replace from your point of view um you know i was looking at the data and pakistan is a laggard on a per capita basis of consumption even compared to india forget about countries like korea and the united states um what are the is it just an awareness uh, issue in terms of where the pvc market is in terms of its development or are there other barriers in terms of customer choice or or just things that people are like oh this is plastic i don't want it um what what is the big barrier to market development here no so one uh, obviously you talked about uh, it's it's the knowledge that products of this type are available in the market you know so one of our our key area 
of focus last year was to at least uh, create a showroom type of an environment, which we have done in Defense Karachi. That's our first one, where you go and there we have these four floors where we have all the all the applications of PVC shown. And I, it was a very big surprise that a lot of people don't actually understand. I mean, if you live in Western uh, in the United States or Europe, you are actually you know using lots of plastic in construction and and, 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 and lots of products you use. In Pakistan, people were not even aware that those pro products exist here. So one was that, and obviously over the years, uh, people have realized that some of the uh, let, let's say the wood, let, let's take a comparison with wood, you know, which was basically in the wood, window. So we were, we were more expensive at one point in time. Uh, wood has become now more expensive. So we are not still the cheapest. So aluminum is probably windows are still uh, the cheapest sort of available choices for people. But we are right in the middle now. And, and, and the kind of advantages you have, better ceiling, you know, uh, better insulation, uh, with PVC, very little maintenance. So those are the kind of things which when you tell people on a life cycle, actually, you know, installing something like this, you know, you might spend a little bit more money, but on a life cycle, I think you're still sort of better off. So those are the kind of concepts which we are telling people now. And I think that's really growing the market. So one is that, uh, second part is obviously in Pakistan, we have a little bit of a dilemma that, uh, there's little standardization you know so if you are putting up a house in united states you know window would have a specific size you don't have choices of your sort of well a few choices but in pakistan i mean nobody there's no standard you know you can put a window of any size now how do you mass produce for a market where every window is a customized window for you so that is those are some of the things which we are struggling still with other thing is that you know enforcement of the standards you know if you're producing a pipe uh, the quality assurance part, which producers are supposed to follow, a lot of people don't follow that. That gives a bad name to the product in the end. You know, if you have, there's a filler and there's a raisin, you know, 90% should be raisin. If somebody is putting 30% filler, then obviously the durability of that product is not going to be great. So some of the, those interventions have also been done by us. We have worked very actively now with Pakistan, uh, you know, Standards uh, Institute quality and standards institute and made sure that there are enough standards around and people to start following it up. And we do testing of the products also. We provide a lot of, you know, customer value that what you are buying from a customer of ours is of a right standard. And, 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 and we test it for them also at times to make sure that, you know, sub sub, I would say sub quality product is available, uh, substandard products but then those brands should be known to people that if you're buying something which is substandard you're paying less it's going to not going to last as long as it could the other thing that i wanted to touch upon as part of this you know obviously it's set for growth and and your ambition is to grow the domestic market one thing that people you know um think about when they hear about plastic materials and its use is okay what happens in terms of sustainability what happens in terms of you know recycling or getting rid of the plastic and again talking about standards enforcement about such things is also a problem in a country like pakistan where people illegally dump things etc how is engro um and, and your team thinking about uh as along with the growth that comes in in terms of you selling your products how do you then deal with uh recycling issue that may come years down the road and on what's the thinking on that front i think good question there uh, so so let me give you a little bit of a view on the pvc single use is about seven percent so it's a very small size which is primarily wrappings and you know some some packaging where it goes most of the pvc is going into the buildings uh, as windows pipes you know cables all the entire insulation is pvc actually so 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 a lot of this is actually going into buildings for next 50 years, you know, let's say 40, 50 years. And when they dismantle the buildings, a lot of this is recyclable. Let's say. So a lot of PVC or, or plastics, which are generally used in construction type of places is easily recyclable. It's not spread. You're dismantling a building. You're actually going to reuse. So, so that, that is big advantage. Now, is it happening in a formal sector? very little to be honest there is enough there is there is a lot of uh, recycling in pakistan 
uh, right from our childhood we have seen you know even the bottles were recycled you know you had that kabadi wala coming and picking up all that and you know you pick up bottles you pick pick up some of the other you know stuff you had at your house and they were recycling now that bit is happening in pvc also uh, what we are trying to do is you know make it more formalized and it starts with collection uh, you know because municipal waste is where you need to really start collecting you know segregation so uh, we are currently working on uh, four localities in pakistan to do a pilot and really understand what is the i mean and all types of plastics you would not you know sort of zero only on pvc but all types of plastics and really understand what is sort of a a medium size pakistani town of let's say 6 to 7000 people what is the plastic they are producing or or they are they are actually discarding every year every day in their in the garbage you know once you have the numbers then you obviously go back and you know do a feasibility of a recycling plant uh, and and then finding i think once you have you start you know formalize it a little bit i think my own view is that uh, there is enough demand for recycled products in pakistan because of the cost advantage also you know? so you don't want to really grow your business beyond 400000 tons if i start recycling 20% of what i am producing today uh, that's the growth you we are in a region in, in, in alhamdulillah we are in that part of the world where the demand is so low that you're starting with a very low base and if demand increases some of that should be serviced by a recycled product so you don't have to put a new plant every year you know just to meet the demand let's say if our per capita goes to 2 kgs per 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 capita 2 kgs of let's say pvc you don't need to put a new plant you know you you have your plant and then you start bringing in the recycled product and and it could be us or one of our uh, you know partners which is actually recycling and and that product can then be used in the recycled products can you you re, you know you pick up a pipe you just shred it and then you can remelt it and make pipes again with it you know so there are lots of it's a easily recyclable product and and i feel this is a very important part of our our, our agenda going forward we are targeting right now about 7% so our our short term goal is 7% which is single use to be honest so we have not sort of gone and made a target that we'll go and do 50% starting with 7% and then eventually obviously we'll increase it as as uh, as the thing happens we are also looking at uh, putting up a circular plastics uh, institute in one of the universities so discussions are very advanced and you'll probably hear about it in a week's time that we are signing an mou so we need people doing research and thought leadership should come and advocacy at the government level especially on policy there's no institute on sustainability or or uh, really on circular plastics in pakistan you've taken membership of global plastics uh, association uh, and 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 again bringing the best uh, you know knowledge from outside to pakistan uh, because when you start with a low base i think if you put best practices in place earlier on we are starting with a low base of plastic usage imagine if we were like at 10 kgs you know per person uh, we'll be swimming in plastic right now as a country so you starting with a low if you can put the right sort of set of best practices in uh, we will have it in a very very manageable manner our growth of plastic usage and and plastic usage big big problem is the collection part it is the plastic is not the problem it's it's how you actually dispose of plastic after usage that's the one which we need to really address yeah and i think from a country like pakistan's point of view right you mentioned wood that people prefer using wood and all sorts of things including windows um we don't have a lot of forest cover right and and the last thing we need to do is chop down more trees to use a material um when in fact we have the option of technologies using plastics um which then can be recycled right and i think there is a policy gap there as well in terms of even tracking um what new construction is going up with what types of materials so that as they go up and as these buildings get older we have a sense of okay this is how much demand there will be um in terms of recycling and that can make the feasibility analysis as you mentioned right much far easier to say okay this many new buildings are using this much pvc we actually have the demand and it makes sense to set up a recycling unit or two Uh, across the country um from an export perspective i noticed um uh, doing my research 
that you have started exporting PVC as well. What has that experience been like? And as you look at you know the 400,000 ton mark, um, what type of mix are you looking to achieve in terms of domestic demand versus trying to export the product that you're making in the country? So I think Vikas uh, uh, Ozer, uh, this is a good question. Again, uh, as I said, we when you put up a plant, we have got a 300,000 ton plant. Pakistan's demand right now is about 250, 260,000 tons. So we have excess capacity and that capacity as opportunity is arising, we are exporting. We are mainly exporting to East Africa, Turkey, South Africa. So we, we went and exported wherever we could, you know, I mean, we got good, good uh, rates for it also. But that's not the real value add export, I would say. Value add would be somebody putting up a plant here, uh, which can produce uh, this stone plastic composite tile you talked about, which is installed in your basement, you know, which looks like uh, wood, but is not wood. And the markets for this, these products are is, is North America and Europe. And there is a big opportunity uh, because a lot of diversification or over-dependence on China is happening in the world. So that is opening up lots of opportunities for countries like Pakistan. Because if I export this tile versus just the raisin, the value add cost and the foreign exchange you can earn with one kg of this raisin is going to be phenomenally more than what I would get if I just sell it at, as, as, as raisin. You know. And that's the direction we are working with a few international brands right now. Uh, we have, we've started discussions. They have shown interest to come to Pakistan, not primarily. Now, this is, this is a very big uh, breakthrough if we are able to do, because I think we're talking at least to two groups right now, international groups, which want to do this, uh, you know, produce uh, PVC products in Pakistan and export. They feel Pakistan's uh, GDP and per capita income is not of the size where if they put up a world scale plant, they will be able to sell everything in locally. So they said we'll sell some part of it locally, maybe 10, 12 to 20%, 80% should be export driven. And that will be, you know, so the dollar you will earn from those exports are a lot more than, you know, maybe four times of what if I just sell raisin or three times more money can be earned. And that's the direction which we would ideally want our, you know, plastics to go out. I was telling somebody that uh, Korea does not export plastic raisin. Uh, they export it as an air conditioner. They export it as a car or they export it as a refrigerator. You know? So it's those value or a mobile phone. So those value added products are the real ones where plastics earn you a lot more than just selling raisin, you know, which is, which is the lowest sort of uh, value added, uh, zero value add product. It's a zero value add product. So that's the direction which we are working on. Uh, we feel also very, uh, very, it's very important for a country of Pakistan size and with our, you know, perpetual uh, problem of uh, current account, uh, you know, you, we, everybody knows about it, so I'm not going to talk about it. So it's important that we have a little bit of an export outlook now. We can't be just sort of servicing the local consumers. And those are the areas where companies like Engro Polymer can really play a pivotal role because we have the size we also can produce, uh, give raw material to value adders uh, who want to step into this space and who can make products which can then be exported globally. You know? and, and because we have the size, because the rest of the industry is so small scale, you know, SEM, the small and medium sized industry, getting them to, you know, partner with uh, international large companies at times not even possible. You know? So when, when you give them a surety of supply of raisin, and they can actually, and, and, and obviously everything else need to work when they do the feasibility. If that can be done in Pakistan, it would be a great thing. I mean, that, that's my dream, you know, that if we can make value added plastic products in Pakistan and sell them. And, and those are really, uh, you talked about both of them. I think there's the windows is one where a lot of uh, windows are, are going out to places like home depots and, 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 and the tiles. And, and some of these other applications are also on, on some of the films which go on to the, uh, you know, as a replacement of wallpaper or paint. 
some of those stuff is also being made. But I mean, the real markets are Western markets for those products, uh, where people have affordability and understanding of those products. Pakistan will get there, but you'll never justify a, a, a large scale plant just to sort of service Pakistani market. Yeah, I think you mentioned circular economy, right? That's the link in terms of the circular economies that Pakistan's market currently is not of the size. Um, but if we can get value addition done at home that then gets exported, that leads to higher incomes and that higher incomes then grows the market domestically as well for all sorts of things, including the materials you may be exporting right now. And I think the other exciting thing about this a potential venture in Pakistan, I, I would say two more that, that strike me. One is that for years, the policy framework in Pakistan has been market seeking investment coming in. Um, and that has exacerbated the problem that you touched upon, current account deficits, et cetera. Um, and if we can get export seeking investment coming in, that's the way to solve that conundrum. Um, and I think the second interesting thing about the flooring and the windows, et cetera, is that both in Europe and the United States or North America at large, given the sustainability programs they have, given the climate change adaptation programs that are funneling dollars um, into the real estate construction side of the economy, um, demand for these materials is only going to go up, especially if you can have better insulated materials that sort of, you know, trap heat and, and cooling better. Um, so that it is a growing segment and it's exciting um, that Engro is trying to get, get going on the value addition side. On that question, though, from your point of view, and you've worked across so many industries in Pakistan, is there a policy linked barrier that can be, you know, that the government can play a role in, in order to further accelerate this transition that's happening in terms of attracting the right type of export seeking investment into the country, particularly in your sector? Or do you think this is just at this point, a more feasibility assessment and let's get the business going uh, problem? No, so, so I think Pakistan has a problem that it's, it's, a, it's one of the largest sort of, I think top 20 economies and population, which does not have a hydro cracker, you know, so, so the basic building block of all plastic starts with a cracker, you know, and we don't have a cracker in this country. Uh, when we started our journey, uh, hardly anybody, very few, you know, converters of the product are there. So when you put up a raisin plant in a country, you know, like uh, an intermediate petrochemical plant in a country, then you actually kickstart very large segment of the economy lots of businesses downstream get started and then obviously the usage of the product becomes good as you reach world scale you can then export those products and and you produce them very very uh, you know economically for for your local market also that hasn't happened to be honest pakistan if you really look at it pakistan anybody who has invested has always looked for a policy you know so you had the auto automobile policy this government has just brought in the mobile policy uh, where mobile manufacturing has started now. Uh, there is work going on on the refinery policy right now. And, uh, but the petrochemical policy, especially the intermediate petrochemical policy does not exist today. So we are working right now with some of the other like-minded uh, groups in Pakistan, which have ambition in this space. And we are trying to work with the government to bring in a policy for petrochemicals. Now, when and and the idea is, as I said, we are not going to organically grow. So, idea is that you get into those things where we have reached the scale to put up a world scale facility. Now, you don't want to start with a fifty thousand car plant. You know, but the world scale is a million million cars a year, and that's where you really get the scale where you can produce them economically for the local market as well as export. That's the number. So we have reached in this country for multiple chemicals where world scale facilities can be put up. One is obviously the one which we are producing. We are, we are, we are destined to get to 400,000. We are already at 300,000. This is a small step. Inshallah, we will be there. Then there is polypropylene, uh, which is, uh, which is extensively used uh, in car manufacturing, you know, paint boxes, you see paint cans you see are all polypropylene. So there are lots of usage of that plastic also. That is about a half a million tons right now is what Pakistan has reached. And we are importing everything on that. Wow. So that's another one which Engro has announced, polypropylene plant, uh, where we are saying that uh, 
we want to put, put up a world scale polypropylene plant in the country. Once that plant gets installed here, downstream industry obviously flourishes immediately. Because I mean, imagine, you know, in today's, and, and we have really seen with COVID that how vulnerable the supply chains are, you know, you can't be dependent on importing everything, you know, and, and you know, servicing the local economy. Uh, so, so the more in place capacities you have in the country, ideally makes downstream industry flourish, you know, they're, they're in, they don't have to keep inventory, it's convenience. We provide technical services also in improving the product quality, which they are doing. So this is what happened in the PVC. It will happen for other plastics. So our objective is first to get this in. The second objective and which you talked about export is how effectively are we able to operationalize our CPAC uh, special economic zones, which, which government has announced, you know, so four or five are supposed to be developed. There's one in NWFP, I think Rashakai. Then there's one yes. near Faisalabad. <coughs> there's one near Karachi, Dhabeji. I think there's one in Gavadar also. Now these are when you go out to uh, in the world, you find very very well developed, you know, industrial parks. Now in Pakistan, uh, there are problems. If I want to set up something today, availability of land, utilities, electricity, all sorts of permits. I have to go all over the place. Now, imagine if you are a foreign investor, why would you like to do that? Most of the countries people fly in, they have these industrial parks or special economic zones, and it's a plug and play, you know? So if we can really create these special economic zones, uh, Faisalabad is very, very much ahead right now. And I think it's getting developed. And if they can create all these other four as effectively, I think you will have definitely people coming in and they can then, you know, buy raisin from us and make products which they can export and sell in the local, uh, you know, market also. That bit is missing, to be honest. That plug and play approach, which you see in Vietnam, you see in Turkey, you see in Egypt. And I'm not even comparing ourselves anymore with, you know, most developed countries like South Korea and Japan, you know. So our competition, and we need to really follow now, uh, or even Bangladesh to some extent, uh, that plug and play facilitated approach for foreign investment to come in. And foreign investment should ideally come in Pakistan, either to uh, as, 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 uh, as an export driven, uh, you know, market uh, export driven project, or as, as, as a replacement of, uh, you know, import import uh, substitution projects those are the real important ones for us you know with our current account issue which you have seen so other investments are great but then the pakistanis can also do those sort of things and i don't want a candy maker coming to pakistan to make a candy when there are companies in pakistan which can make candies you know we need obviously high quality international companies coming in either either to uh, you know to solve one of our press problems which is you know current account deficit you know. and i think the the candy or, or fast moving consumer goods sort of segment right it's it's stuff that even entrepreneurial pakistanis can set up the manufacturing plant and you don't need you're right you don't need that best in class world class scale to be competitive right you can have a small brand that then grows and thrives um you mentioned cpac and and the secs there that sort of makes me ask you the question how do you see Overall, sort of in the last couple of years, we've seen and heard from government policymakers about this geoeconomics pivot and the fact that Pakistan now wants to see its geographic location not as a source of extracting geopolitical rents, but more as a this is a destination where you can come in, invest, and then trade with the rest of the world, whether it's into Central Asia and beyond. Iran and India, obviously, because of geopolitical reasons, are, are, are problematic, but then you have the sea. And you can basically touch upon, you know, and sell your products to wherever uh, in the world that you may want to. How do you see this sort of change of thinking that has emerged in Pakistan in terms of looking at things from an economic lens, which perhaps 10, 15 years ago was not there? No, I think it's a good question. So there is there is a, there's a geopolitics involved in the CPAC, and I don't want to really make any comment on that. But what has CPAC given to Pakistan and what problems? as CPAC projects solved for Pakistan. Let's start with those. 
So the bulk of the projects were power sector. We were we were having serious you know blackouts in the country and and brownouts and and a requisite capacity had to be put in Pakistan. Now that got installed. Now that could be coal. Uh, that was also a lot of LNG-based power plants which came in in that time period, and also uh, we had uh, uh, the the hydro uh, hydroelectric projects which are right now under execution. So a lot of these are part of the CPAC, uh, you know, sort of tail end projects which are I think focused all on the hydroelectric. Then you needed infrastructure, highways, uh, obviously. That was a critical need of the country, and I think some of these motorways which got developed between Sakhar and Multan and Multan and Lahore, and I think the last stretch is Hyderabad and Karachi. If it's done, so literally you have you'll have a, like a world scale, you know, beautiful roads uh, right from Karachi all the way to I would say Swat and Pujrab. You know, you you have great highways. Uh, roads make a big difference, you know. And and the so, last sorry road... to sorry to interject on the road thing. I uh, I know somebody from Gilgit Baltistan, and we were once talking about the impact of this investment, and he was like. You can actually drive a truck in Gilgit Baldistan now and have your cup of tea on your dashboard, and it's not going to spill. That's how good the roads are. Yeah, the roads have been absolutely great, you know. And with that, you know, obviously the tourism just boomed. You know, the northern areas, local tourism. I mean, they were absolutely. I mean, we were. My wife and I were planning a trip, and there were no hotel rooms available. I mean, in the season. So I mean, literally, there was a boom going on because people could just, you know. If you are sitting in Gujranwala in Faisalabad, maybe not from Karachi, you just put the family in the car and drive up, you know, and that's what people did, you know. I mean, and the entire place was in full of tourists and a lot of, you know, and these are these are the most deprived areas of Pakistan. So billions of billions of rupees went into as tourism, you know, spent in these in these areas in last uh, few months only, and and I think that's going to have a serious impact on the economy of that area. A lot of hotels are coming up there. Uh, in that region, so CPAC that was like the first phase: infrastructure, primarily roads, and uh, and power projects. Second bit, I think Gawadar port. Obviously, it's a deep sea port, which uh, I tell a lot of people that Gawadar should be seen uh, as as a as a port which is high, which which is a transshipment port, not as something. Why do we so much focus on the connectivity? Or rest of the world, why can't Gawadar be a a feeder port for Karachi? You know the the big ships can come and because it's got a very it's a deep sea port. You bring everything to Gawadar and then put in on smaller ships and ship it to Karachi because right now that transshipment is happening from Dubai or from Colombo. So even if you use Gawadar for transshipment of things to Karachi. or oil i mean we are big big oil importers imagine if you have large storages there because karachi ports are not as deep so so those super carriers can't come here you can bring a super carrier to gawadar and then put it small barges and start supplying things to you know uh, to karachi because we we don't have a mindset you know so singapore does not have anything trucked in they come in ships and they go out in ships gawadar is a great port in that in that context that it can become an excellent transshipment port for two ports of karachi as well as africa india middle east you know you don't have to go into the persian gulf you know actually you're right at the point where they can ships can do a lot of transshipment from there because but we don't have that mindset in pakistan we don't look at ocean economy or blue economy as they say we look more sort of connectivity we we look at everything from a connectivity you so, almost read my mind on that because i was talking to a government stakeholder who was in dc recently and we were talking about gwadar um and karachi in that sense and the entire conversation was about how can we ship things by road into central asia and somebody in the room who was from the shipping industry was like you need to think exactly what you just said think about transshipment and think about the role you can play in the blue economy where your location is not just north through land but it is the entire ocean that comes southwards from your country believe you me uzair if you start transshipment of containers for only karachi ports from gawadar it'll be worthwhile and oil because everything gets sort of converted from a big ship to a smaller one once they come to karachi ports 
so yeah there, there is a lot of but we don't think like that hopefully we start thinking like that so so that was gavadar was one uh, the next phase of cpac is all about these industrial parks special economic zones and that's a more difficult one because obviously there's no g2g government to government contracts private parties have to come that's where pakistan has to play a bigger role in facilitating that plug and play approach which you find out in chinese special economic zones or vietnam or maybe in turkey also to some extent or egypt these are the places where a lot of investment is going now and they are creating those sort of environments where people get that thing that it's a one one uh, you know one stop uh, solution when you go to a special economic zone now if you are developing five what is stopping you if they are successful replicate another five you know that's where you know all that road connectivity which we have created and these special economic zones uh, which means lots of small mini cities developing around them uh, jobs and then the connectivity comes in you know uh, and the power supply which we will we have now ample power supply you need to have industry to use that ample power supply which you have created also and and industry is the one which pays also i mean you have a problem of you know recovery of uh, uh, your power bills from the people uh, especially where they don't have the affordability now also uh, these are the kind of these are good paying customers you know i mean if you have an industrial connection i'm sure he's going to pay or she's going to pay you their bills you know so those are the kind of things which we need to really focus on and i think uh, i'm i'm hoping uh, that cpac uh, you know the second promise of cpac now really gets delivered because in the first one there was a lot of onus on the chinese part of the thing now our chinese parts partners have done lots of work in the first phase is the second part where the pakistanis have to do a lot more of work i think that's the one where we need to really put our act together and then it's open to everybody i mean if i have a if they have an industrial special economic zone i think chinese are not not going to restrict you know they, to make them economically viable those special economic zones of the companies they would want as many industri- as many industrial you know uh, plants or factories there as as possible because that's how they will make money in, and you know how that's how the special economic zone companies will become uh, viable entities you know and they would i don't think so they're going to discriminate you know that uh, it's coming from west or is coming from china or is coming from east you know i think they would want fully utilized and i think pakistan has a big stake in that i frequently remind um folks who raise this point about china making things exclusive for chinese um in pakistan and i'm like well look at chinese secs you have tesla you have apple you have everybody yeah. making things you have gm so why do you think that the chinese won't follow the same approach in a third country where in fact in their own country this has been the approach in terms of how the secs are run and so that's how we also as pakistani policy makers and business leaders and others need to think about that that this is an opportunity to you know bootstrap what china has enabled and 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 invite and work with the rest of the world as well because the opportunity is huge um i'm mindful of time so a couple of questions before we close this out from your point of view um on the polymer side uh, again where do you see the business in the next 4 to 5 years um you know sort of the 400000 thing we talked about as well but um what is the ambition and aspiration there from the business and and finally one of the questions i always ask my guests is um an audience uh, loves that um is share a couple of books that have influenced you it can be on any topic um but would love your thoughts on that as well great thank you uh so i've i've uh, i've uh, you know so our ambition is kind of a little bit limited also because as i said we don't have a cracker in pakistan ethylene being one of the key raw materials or building block for any plastic you need to have a cracker in the country now if the cracker happens uh, and that cracker can only happen if a large refinery uh, you know abu dhabi and saudis were looking at this big refinery on the coast of uh, balochistan if that project so it's still being worked with parco if that happens and they eventually have a cracker with it then i think our ambitions are unlimited you know a million ton or 2 million ton because then i just need to you know ship again talking about blue economy right from that port of hub or that area a barge just bringing me ethylene i don't need to lay a pipeline all across karachi it'll just be a barge bringing that ethylene every every second day and i can run a million ton plant here so 400000 beyond that you know imported ethylene would be a very difficult 
thing for us to do. Maybe we get to half a million tons, but we really need a cracker in the country. And we are getting the scale, inshallah, that a cracker will come to Pakistan. Uh, Thailand has it, Indonesia, uh, Vietnam is working on it, you know. So it you need that for the next phase of growth in the plastics to happen. So hoping that that project comes through, obviously we, we need this deep conversion, large refinery, and that will have enough naphtha to eventually crack and get us ethylene building block. Uh, so that's the, that's, the, that's the kind of next thing which we will wait for. That project is being sort of looked at very seriously. They have got a project team, companies are working on it, and inshallah that will happen. Uh, second bit uh, of for us would be how can we, our product goes into more value-added products, as I said. You want to be really at the lowest end of producing, giving raisin to people who make pipes, you know, and sort of very simplistic things. So for me, a real success would be that I obviously procure some of my raw materials, which are for which foreign exchange is utilized. And then I produce a raisin and it's primarily used in domestic industry. Ideally, this should net off by people producing products, just like I talked about, which are then exported here. So if you have a net of zero impact, you know, you imported a raw material and exported something, you will finish with it. And, 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 uh, and that will be a very good place to be. I mean, it'll be great for our business. It'll be great for uh, the country. And, and uh, we feel that we are really part of a supply chain of an export driven business for Pakistan. I mean, that's what my, my and Anglo polymers clear ambition is that you want to be part of an export, uh, you know, uh, export driven business supply chain. We are already because in, in polymers, you already, I mean, as a byproduct, we produce caustic soda and caustic soda is extensively utilized by uh, the textiles and they are primarily our customers are exporters. So we have an indirect, you know, helping out the export, export industry of Pakistan on, on the side of the caustic side of our business, which is the chemical side of the business. So Engro polymer has a polymer and a chemical side of the business. The chemical side is already part of the supply chain of export. The polymer need to be in that thing and total net of impact of the business should be zero foreign exchange, you know, um, you know sort of depletion for the country. So that's, that's the big one for us. And uh, you talked about books. So one of the books which has influenced me was uh, by Ram Charan and uh, Larry Bossidy, Execution. Uh, and, and I firmly believe that uh, uh, there's so much emphasis on vision and strategy uh, that you should have a vision and then you have a strategy. Somebody got to get their sleeves up and get into the, the execution part. And I firmly believe that uh, we got to give equal importance. So this is so much of hype about strategy and vision, you know, and those are extremely important. Those are 50,000 feet uh, sort of things, you know, you got to have somebody who can get into the trenches and do, do the real work, you know, so execution and it's a great book. And that gave me great insights on why, uh, you know, uh, the organizations uh, survive uh, or, or how do you look at projects and how do you really, how much important execution is. So, so as, as somebody who's looking after an organization, I do look at, so I, I like great ideas, but I want to really implement those great ideas also. That's important. Just, just great ideas. Everybody has a great idea. How many of us were able to really execute those great ideas? You know, Elon Musk thought of an electric car. He was able to execute in Tesla. You know, so those are the kind of connecting the dots is important for me. Another book I, uh, uh, I think Jim Collins' book, uh, which is uh, good to great. And it talks a lot. So it's a, it's a book about how companies have survived for very long. Uh, but there's a chapter in it, which is very important, which talks about the role of the CEO. So when I became a CEO and it talks about, you know, so there are, when you, when you are young, you're looking at becoming a CEO, but would you ever be characterized or looked at as a successful CEO? So lots of CEOs fail. I mean, the failure rate is pretty high as a CEO also. And that's what I tell a lot of my young people who work with me that, are you really preparing yourself to be a successful CEO? Just becoming a CEO should not be an objective. 
and it talks a great uh, in a great length what successful CEOs do. And it's not just about bottom line, it's people, it's about succession, it's about execution, it's about innovation, it's about ideas, you know, and all of those things. And I, I, I don't know how successful I have been in that, in that area, but at least it was an inspiration for me. Uh, and I think both have been quite an inspiration. Thank you. I think the book Good to Great is the most recommended book on this podcast. I think at least five guests, <laughs> if I remember correctly, have recommended it. I have gone through it as well. And you're absolutely right that it is about sex being a successful CEO, right? Like I look at, for example, Apple, like when Steve Jobs passed away, the big test for Apple began at that time. Did Jobs prepare his successor? And did he build an institution that could outlive his own physical existence in this world? And it did. Right? And that shows how, and he had to learn through mistakes as he had made plenty of mistakes in the 80s and the 90s as well. So it is a, a very important read. And I think execution, you're on point. It eats a strategy for lunch, breakfast, and dinner. Um, as, as one of my former managers used to say, is like your roadmap can be really nice and shiny and slick. And uh, if it can't be implemented, then it's you know useless. Um, so I'm glad you recommended that. Um, Parajasab, thank you so much for taking out the time. Uh, for explaining to us Engro's business's vision. I think this is exciting in the sense that um, an entire new industry can be birthed from the work uh, that Engro and your team is doing. Um, so kudos to you guys. Um, wish you all the best. And hopefully we will have, uh, inshallah, a cracker in Pakistan and then hit the one, two million uh, ton mark where Pakistan can be a global player. Uh, in the in this global supply chain, which is only going to grow. Um, and I think if we can have that type of execution um, in the country where next generation industries are set up from a, a look outwards uh, to the world versus just the domestic market, that's the future for the country. So thank you so much for taking out the time. Thank you, Uzair. Great uh, interacting with you. And uh, thank you. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Yeah.